right. It is at, it is 6 p.m. and I'm going to call the City of Iowa City formal meeting to order for for October 3rd, 2022. Roll call, please. Alter here. Burgess here. Harmson here. Taylor here. Here. Thomas here. Weiner here. Well, welcome everyone. Um, we are going to move on to item number 2A, which is Fire Prevention Week. Whereas the City of Iowa City is committed to ensuring the safety and security of all those living in Iowa, in, living in and visiting Iowa City, and whereas fire is a serious public safety concern both locally and nationally, and homes are the locations where people are at greatest risk for, from fire. And whereas home fires killed 2,980 people in the United States in 2080, according to the National Fire Protection Association, and fire departments in the United States responded to 490, um, 400,090 500 home fires, and whereas working smoke alarms cut the risk of dying in reported home fires in half, and three out of five home fires death result from fires in properties without working smoke alarms. And whereas half of the home fires death result from fires reported at night between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. when most people are asleep. And whereas Iowa City first responders are de dedicated to reducing the occurrence of home fires and home fire injuries through prevention and protection education. And whereas Iowa City residents are responsive to public education measures and are able to take personal steps to increase their safety from fire, especially in their homes. And whereas the 2022 Fire Prevention Week theme, Fire Won't Wait, Plan Your Escape, effectively reminds us to look for places fire could start, listen for the sound of the smoke alarm, and learn two ways out of every room. Now, therefore, I, Bruce Teague, Mayor of Iowa City, here, hereby proclaim October 9th, 15, 2022, as Fire Prevention Week throughout the city and urge everyone to install smoke alarms and to support the many public safety activities and efforts during Fire Prevention Week 2022 and year-round. And to receive this, um, today is Fire Marshal Brian Gear. So we'll welcome him at this time. Sir, I suppose I should probably speak a little bit here on this. Uh, fire Prevention Week was started by the National Fire Protection Association in 1922 to commemorate the Great Chicago Fire that occurred on um, in 1871 on the 9th of that that um, of, of October. So they've historically it had uh, Fire Prevention Week is is on the week that has the ninth in it. So in 1925, President Calvin Coolidge, he actually proclaimed uh, Fire Prevention Week a national observance, which makes it the longest running public health observance in the country. Hmm. So that's, that's kind of neat there too. And um, what, what we heard in the proclamation, there's a few things that, that I'd like to just talk about. The, the, the theme for this year is fire won't wait, plan your escape. So things we want to make sure of is 
work with your family or the people you live with to try to make a plan on how to get out of the house in case there was a fire. I actually was at a fire yesterday just across from my house in North Liberty. So, <laughs> I mean, I was woken up and people know I'm on the fire department, so they, you know, I had to go over and assist a little bit with there. And fortunately, the person that was in the house was able to get out. Um, but it, it's something that when, when you get in a, in a fire, it is really dark. It's, the smoke is, is really bad for you, and, and just a, a few breaths of it, and, and sometimes it's, it's heated as well. It, it can be disastrous. So make sure you have a plan that, that you, can, you can get out of the house. Once you're out of the house, have a meeting place. You want to be able to have accountability for the people that are with you. So we'll do that. Smoke alarms. I hope everybody has those. You know, check those every month. Push the little test button on it. Make sure it works. If they're older than 10 years old, you may have to pull them down to look at the bottom to see the date. They should be replaced. And no, no two ways out of every room. If it's your bedroom, obviously the door's the, the primary way. If, if that's blocked or you feel heat out there, you have a window to get out of. Always look for two ways to get out. And you know, make sure you, you practice some of this stuff too, especially if you've got younger kids. Just make sure that, that you can get them out and, and be safe. Other than that, thank you all for what you do, and, and hopefully you know, you'll stay fire safe and, and I think that's really all I have. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. And thanks to you and all of the uh, firemen and or the fire staff that work. Yes, thank you. Yeah. And the other thing is we're starting back into the schools next week. We usually have a, a little skit or a, a show. So each of the each of the elementaries, K through three, are going to get the opportunity to see that live again. The last two years, it was all virtual. and it, didn't quite touch as much as it should have, so this this should be good to get back to somewhat normal. Yes. All right, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, we're going to move on to item number 2B, which is Indigenous Peoples Day. Or as the city recognizes the fact that Iowa City is built upon the homelands of Native American nations to whom we owe our existence, commitment, and dedication, and without whom the building of the city would not have been possible. And whereas the area of Iowa City was within the homelands of Iowa, Meskwaki, and Sauk, and because history is complex and time goes far beyond memory, we also acknowledge the ancient connections of many other indigenous people here. And whereas Indigenous Peoples Day was first proposed in 1977 by a delegation of Native nations to the United Nations-sponsored international conferences on discrimination against indigenous populations in the Americas, and whereas the city of Iowa City recognizes a shared responsibility to honor our nation's indigenous roots, history, traditions, and cultural contribu contributions, Whereas the city strongly support that Indigenous Peoples Day shall be an opportunity to celebrate the thriving cultures and values of the indigenous people of the region. And whereas the city is dedicated to opposing systemic racism towards indigenous people, which perpetuates high rates of poverty and income inequality, income inequality and exacerbating 
disproportionate health, education, and social crises. And whereas the city employs our residents to commit to understanding and addressing injustices impacting indigenous people, and whereas the city strongly encourages educational institutions, businesses, and other organizations to recognize Indigenous Peoples Day and join the city in committing to opposing systemic racism and injustices. Now, therefore, I, Bruce Teague, Mayor of Iowa City, do hereby proclaim the second Monday of October each year as Indigenous Peoples Day in Iowa City. And to receive this, um, I understood that we had someone online to receive this, but I don't see. Um, so Sakawas, Nobis, if you are present online, please raise your hand. I don't see her, but she is the founder and executor uh, and the executive director of the Great Plains Action Society, uh, who was um, uh, a part of the indigenous community and um, just thank her for all that she do within our community and through her organization. All right, we will move on to items number three through seven, which is our consent agenda. Can I get a motion to approve, please? So moved, Weiner. Second, Taylor. Moved by Weiner, seconded by Taylor. And I'm gonna invite uh, Julie Seidel Johnson up to just talk about one item from here, which is 6F. And 6F, that title is Mercer Park Ball Fields and Courts. Welcome. Great. Great, so what this uh, action will do is start the process on public improvements next summer at Mercer Baseball Fields and the Mercer Pickleball Courts, Tennis Courts, and hopefully City Park Tennis Courts. The funding for the project is the 2023 CIP project. There's 950,000 for the baseball field complex and 175 originally placed in there for the City Park Tennis Courts. As we've gone through the Recreation Facilities and Program Master Plan, uh, we've really been, uh, gotten a lot of feedback about the pickleball courts at Mercer, so we are shifting some of the focus to also include the, those courts. Um, the baseball improvements, things like fencing, lighting, playability of the fields, but then also work to the kind of the plaza concessions fan, fan area in the middle of the fields, um, potentially re, uh, realigning field number four. I have to tell you that our list of, of potential wants for this project is much larger than the budget. So what this will do once we get our, our consultant on board is start our stakeholder meetings, both with uh, the school district, the baseball associations, the pickleball players, tennis enthusiasts, to prioritize which things get done. Um, meaning there'll be some done on each of these areas, but the amount done on each may vary a little bit. For the pickleball courts, specifically at Mercer, uh, we're well aware of the cracking on the courts and believe that that will probably take a full, uh, a full um, replacement of this underground surfacing there. Now, it probably does not do enough to add a roof over the top or some of the other um, amenities that the pickleball players have asked for, but we will be talking with them and working with them on potentially some fundraising or some other things for site furnishings and, and that sort of thing. Same with the baseball fields. The list is much longer than probably what the budget will um, 
accomplish. So we will look at things for safety, playability, energy efficiency, um, fan experience, those kind of things, accessibility paths first, um, and then work our way down the list with those. Does that answer? Yeah. Quick question on the uh, pickleball courts. Um, so is that uh, actual repairs or replacement or whatever, would that be next summer or the summer after? So this money is for the construction year of 2023. So okay. our hope is to get through the, the um, stakeholder meetings and design and bid it out January, February, and so it would be construction next summer, early fall, and the baseball season will dictate some of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but similar to what we just talked about with other projects, if we can couple those together into one contract, I think that would be better. Thank you. Any other questions for staff? Thank you, Julie. All right. Anyone from the public like to address a topic that is on our consent agenda? If you're online, please raise your hand. If you're in person, please step to the podium. Seeing no one, council discussion. I just had a quick comment about um, 6B, the lobbyist, if that, if this would be an appropriate time to do that. Um, we had in the past taken some time, I think, in a work session to talk about topics that we would like the lobbyist to follow up on. And so I'd like us to maybe keep that in mind and schedule a time, a work session, to, if, if we have some, especially you, Janice, if you have some of those topics that uh, we want the lobbyists to keep an eye on and our legislatures to keep an eye on. And on that note, there was a list in there about their, their scope of services. And it mentioned regularly communicating uh, with the city. And I'm not sure whether, do they do that? Do they talked to uh, the city manager because um, it, it mentioned also like attending up to two city council meetings. And I don't recall them ever doing that, but I'd, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see better communication between the council, the city, uh, and, and uh, the lobbyist. But that's all. Yeah, I can speak to that uh, just a bit because um, I'm actually going to be the one that's going to be focused out of the city manager's office working with the, the state lobbyists. Okay, so good. we will have an opportunity to have some legislate, uh, legislative priorities uh, that the council will vote on. I think this is something that's been done in the past. And so we will be looking at that and, and um, there'll be, from what I understand, um, pretty robust communications um, during the legislative uh, session. Uh, with uh, the city manager's office and, and the consultants, so. Good. Thank you. Yep. That's all. All right. Any other discussion by council? Hearing none, roll call please. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Motion passed to seven to zero. We're on to item number eight, which is community comment. This is an opportunity for anyone to come up and speak about a topic that is not listed on our agenda. We will allow three minutes for each person to speak. If you're online, please raise your hand. And in person, there is a sticker in the back. If you want to fill it out or you can, yep, place it in the basket. Or there's a sign-in sheet at the desk, at the podium. Welcome, please give us your name and the city you're from. Great, thank you. Amy Kretkowski here from Iowa City. Again, to express my ongoing continued support for keeping the current design of City Park Pool. I have another letter that I would like to give to you. Um, if, it, if I could, uh, it's, it's wet. Um, it was in my bag and the water bottle, so you can just pretend that it's been swimming. It's sort of appropriate. <laughs> 
you'd like me to send you some non-wet copies, I'll be happy to do that. Um, I just, I, 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 I keep coming back to these meetings and this one-way communication process is just, uh, it's a little frustrating. And given the community, um, you know, output of support for all the pools, I think it would be a really, really great idea if the council, Parks and Rec, or whomever can explain what is what the process is, or where we're at in the process, what's going to happen next, when things are going to be voted on, because rumors are, are abounding. And I know you can't you know, respond to me, but um, I did, you know, I've, I've sent three letters now to the city council. I have, uh, I've emailed uh, people, I've spoken to a few of you. I sent emails out to um, the rest of the city council who I had not yet spoken to, I haven't heard back. That's fine, we're all very busy, I totally get it, but it would be really great um, for the community to understand exactly what's going on. And this, what this letter gets into is something that I mentioned at the last council meeting, which is that I think you're making a very, very big, important decision for something that's going to impact this community, and it doesn't seem to me from the information that I've read that you have all the information you need in order to make a, a, a responsible decision. It seems to me that we don't really know exactly what's wrong with the city park pool. So instead of just throwing the whole pool out, maybe a little bit more work is done to try to, you know, needs to be done to, to figure out exactly what's going on with the pool. That's all, thank you. Thank you. Can I get a motion to accept correspondence? So moved. Second. Moved by Weiner, seconded by Taylor. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion uh, passes seven to zero. Would anyone else like to make a comment during this time on any agenda item, on any item that is not on our agenda? If you're online, please raise your hand. Say no one online or in person. We're gonna move on to item number nine, which are planning and zoning matters. And 9A is a rezone in Cardinal Heights. This ordinance conditionally rezoned in approximately 27.68 acres of property located east of Camp Cardinal Boulevard and west of Camp Cardinal Road from interim development research park zone to low density multifamily zone with a planned development overlay. And could I get a motion to pass and adopt? So move, Thomas. Second, Burgess. All right, anyone from the public like to address this topic? If you're online, please raise your hand. In person, please step to the podium. Seeing no one, council discussion. I'd just like to comment again on, on this item. I, I believe that as members of the city council, uh, I've heard many of you over time uh, say how important it is for you to hear from your constituents. Uh, you would like them to know and feel that their, their voice matters and that you're listening to them. And I believe that it's a critical part of being an elected official to be able to listen to what is being said. Um, and we offer many ways for the public to offer their input, listening posts, public hearings, public comment, time during council meetings and commission meetings, various surveys, and of course, emails, letters, and phone calls. And for the most part, I, I feel that this is an appropriate development uh, for this area, and I'm happy to see growth on the west side. Uh, however, I don't feel that the concerns raised by the nearby residents were adequately addressed. 
They raised many valid concerns, and it was not, uh, not stated that uh, it was NIMBY. We'd heard that many times, several projects about, not in my backyard, but they did not say that. They didn't have that kind of attitude, uh, nor were they um, primarily concerned about their property values. Uh, they focused on concerns about uh, stormwater drainage and reduction of the woodlands. And frankly, I'm concerned about the loss of woodlands. The developer admits to a drastic removal of woodland that impacts 55.8%, 12.7.8 uh, acres out of 22.9 acres would be removed. Um, and I would be willing to accept this development subject to changes that eliminate the development on the north slope, uh, which would preserve those woodlands, um, which would then show some environmental responsibility on the part of the developer. And I would ask my fellow council members to please listen to these uh, concerns raised by these community members and pause this development uh, until their concerns can be adequately addressed. That's all. Thank you. Any other comments? Roll call, please. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? No. Teague? Yes. Motion passes six to one. All right, so we are on to item number 9B, which is a preliminary plat, planned development overlay and sensitive areas development plan, Cardinal Heights. Resolution approving the preliminary plat, plan, development, overlay, and sensitive areas, development plan of the Cardinal Heights subdivision, Iowa City, Iowa. Can I get a motion to approve? So moved. Second, Harmson. Moved by Alter, seconded by Harmson, and we're gonna welcome Danielle. Thank you, Mayor and Council. Danielle Sitzman, Neighborhood and Development Services. I'll just have a brief presentation. This particular application goes along with the one, uh, the rezoning that you just completed a moment ago. It's the preliminary plat for the area bounded in the white outline here. Again, the applicant is Navigate Homes, and they've re been requesting the rezoning and now this final the subdivision of this, and so the platting of this into, Card into Cardinal Point Heights. Um, that would eventually allow for the development of 44 attached single-family homes or duplexes, four townhome apartments on one lot and a multifamily apartment uh, consisting of approximately 30 units. The proposed preliminary plat contains the lots to facilitate that development. This is uh, showing the plat oriented north-south as we kind of are accustomed to seeing, even though most of their submittal was more of an east-west orientation. Um, it does show the development of the street network uh, connecting to existing road networks to the west, uh, allowing for future connection to the east. No real connections to the north and south due to the um, location of sensitive features, as was mentioned, woodlands, and the fact that the development to the north of it did not leave any um, stub streets to connect to, and it is already developed with the loop street to the north. Um, Again, here's the same subdivision tilted now so that the north is to the left-hand side. Um, just talking a little bit about cul-de-sacs, while the comprehensive plan and our subdivision uh, ordinances do uh, discourage cul-de-sacs, they do allow for them in certain circumstances, primarily when it can be demonstrated that there is a reason um, not to disturb other areas with a street cut through um, in areas where there's environmental constraints like sensitive areas or limitations to connecting to other streets, as I've mentioned, no real need to connect to, uh, to the north when there's not a stub street to connect to. Um, the design of this cul-de-sac was within the length uh, limits. There's a 900-foot limit on cul-de-sacs um, in length. When they do occur, this one is only 560 feet in length. 
When we review subdivisions, we look at comprehensive plan compliance as well as any conditions that were uh, included in a rezoning, in this case, the rezoning that just occurred. And then as we do, uh, also review the ordinances for subdivision uh, design. This has been found to be uh, consistent with the comprehensive plan as part of that rezoning process. The density of development here is much lower than the comprehensive plan envisions, primarily because of those sensitive features and avoiding them um, and orienting de development away from those. Talking about conditions that have been placed, there was only one condition on that rezoning that just occurred. It had to do with cost sharing for future road improvements, and that would be accomplished in the future with uh, payment of those fees before issuance of building permit. And we also review the built the uh, primary the preliminary plat subdivision code. Um, we've done that as part of the rezoning in part for the open space and the design of the um, overlay district plan. So I won't get into that. And just to highlight that we are here at the green segment in the development process, having completed the rezoning. Now this is the preliminary plat. It would be followed eventually with the final plat that would just come to council and then eventually staff review of site. Um, site plans for the multifamily developments and then issuance of building permits. So based on a review of the relevant criteria for subdivisions, staff did recommend approval with no conditions. Uh, the Planning and Zoning Commission concurred with that and also forwarded uh, a recommendation of approval from their August 3rd meeting. That concludes staff report and I'm happy to answer questions. Hearing none, thank you. Anyone from the public like to address this topic? If so, please step forward at this time. If you're online, please raise your hand. Seeing no one, council discussion. Roll call, please. Weiner? Yes. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? No. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. All right, motion passes six to one. Item number 10 is Rurit South Trunk Sanitary Sewer. Resolution authorizing the acquisition of property interests necessary for construction of the Rurit South Trunk Sanitary Sewer project. And I'm gonna open the public hearing and I'm gonna welcome our staff. Welcome, Joe. Joe Welter from Engineering and I'm the project engineer on this project. So I'll just walk you through the um, a little bit about the project overall and then we'll talk about the property acquisition. So this project's located from uh, almost uh, at Kiwanis Park, uh, Abbey and Bury. It's going to go down Abbey Lane across Mormon Trek Boulevard uh, along a existing sewer easement that uh, is south of Rushmore Drive and then we'll cross uh, under Highway 218. Uh, this project generally includes uh, about a half mile of 30 inch diameter uh, trunk sewer. Uh, we'll be using trenchless construction underneath the highway uh, per the DOT's recommendation. We'll have new uh, sanitary manholes, new sanitary sewer service connections on Abbey and along the permanent easement on the west side of Mormon Trek. We'll be abandoning the old collection line that was on Abbey. Uh, storm sewer pipe, as well as water main features and uh, storm inlets will all be improved. The street will be completely replaced on Abbey. 
and a big uh, portion of the uh, first part of Rushmore will also be replaced. We'll have driveway apron replacements, uh, several sidewalk improvements. Uh, so to get access to the west side of Highway 218, we cannot access it off of the DOT properties. The, the grades on the side of the highway plus the restrictions of the use of the highway don't allow us to do that. We do need access to both sides of the highway to be able to set our materials on one side, be able to bore through and then pull the new pipe through um, the casing, uh, install the casing and install the new sewer pipe. And so we have been in contact with um, uh, the uh, Steve Carson, the Carson family, as well as um, Allen uh, Development that owns this property now. And uh, they suggested the route that we're taking uh, that's highlighted here in blue. The, the blue rectangle out towards the highway, that's the laydown area we'll be proposing. And then the final area there is the area for the contractor to be able to set up their equipment to do the directional, um, the boring and the directional drilling across the, the highway. This is just kind of another look at the exact same thing, but it, it, it highlights that path that we're taking for the temporary easement. Again, this is required because it's ag, it's agricultural land, and we're doing an acquisition on that. Just a little bit about the schedule. So a lot of this is um, uh, still a little bit up in the air, but we would be aiming towards a late fall or early winter bid on this. We would like to start construction in April and finish in November. So, and Strand and Associates has been our design engineer on this. So that ends my presentation. Um, could you please sort of give everyone a sense of the, the, the contact that you've already had? Because I know it's been extensive with the homeowners in the area. Yeah, so this is p particularly, this item's about the, the agricultural land, but right. we have, um, to answer your question on the other property, so we, we have been, on this property, we've been, we've been in contact with both the Carson family as well as Jesse Allen. Uh, on the east side yeah. of the highway, uh, west of Mormon Trek is the Mormon Trek Village Cond Condominiums Association, Homeowners Association. We've had uh, several meetings with them. Two of them have been on site. Uh, two of them have been virtual. Uh, so they've been invited to uh, both of the public information meetings that we've had for all of the neighbors on this project. Uh, there is only one temporary easement that's uh, along Abbey and that was at the request of that particular property owner. They requested us to extend their private sewer up into past where our permanent easement goes to accommodate avoiding uh, a large pin oak tree in their, in their yard. So that, that was at the request of that particular property owner. Thank you very much. Yeah. Joe, for the um, route of the easement that's through the agricultural land, you mentioned mm -hmm. that that was kind of recommended by the landowners. Can you just speak to what types of factors are involved in locating that? It's pretty much the ridge. 
Okay. So there's a divide in the property and they want us to stay up on the drier, the, the, the high ground is gonna be drier. Um, they're also going to be uh, looking at um, doing some work on that property at some point and this this aligned with some of the the areas that they were going to be doing some of their doing this, some of their work uh, maybe starting next year I don't know that again they have to go through a process to get to that point okay. they're not quite there yet because this is just for kind of driving our equipment in and out to get to the west side of the highway exactly yeah trucks and equipment uh, I imagine some of it they'll be unloading um, at the very entrance and driving it in. Other things they'll have to drive all the way down to unload uh, the pipe and um, the rock and the material that they're going to have to get down there. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. One of the themes that we've had tonight is talking about supply chain issues. Does you, do you have any concerns about the timeline that is in I place think, right now. I think we're all concerned yeah. about that. Um, the particular materials that we were using at this point, we're, we're, not, we're not getting any sense of that we're not going to be able to get those materials. Uh, we, had, we specifically went away from certain materials that we were considering because they're just not available. So the materials that we're using uh, generally are uh, pretty readily accessible. Um, so there's always a chance. Yeah. that that won't be the case we we do have a long construction window for this I neither the designer nor the city staff thinks it's going to take from April till November necessarily but we give longer time frames first to get a little better bid so that the contractor has some flexibility when they want to fit that in uh, and the second would be if we do get some delays at the front end we still have a good window of opportunity in the late spring summer and early fall to still get this done thank you yeah appreciate it mm -hmm. thank you Thank Anyone you. from the public like to address this topic? If you're online, please raise your hand. If you're in the auditorium, please come forth. Seeing no one, I'm going to close the public hearing. Can I get a motion to approve, please? So moved, Burgess. Second, Alter. Council discussion? Uh, this, is, this is really essential to... Um, to the possibility of further development on the west side. It's sort of the gateway to, to more development. It's not just sort of, it's, and it's been, I think it's been in the planning for a long time. So. Roll call, please. Weiner? Yes. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Motion passed to seven to zero. Item number 11 is American Legion Road speed limit. Ordinance amending Title IX and Title Motor Vehicles and Traffic, Chapter 3, entitled Rules of the Road, Section 6, entitled Speed Restrictions, Subsection B, entitled Exceptions to Eliminate the 35-mile-per-hour speed zone for American Legion Road. This is second consideration, and staff is requesting expedited action. I move that the rule requiring that ordinances must be considered and voted on for passage at two council meetings prior to the meeting at which it is to be finally passed be suspended, that the second consideration and vote be waived and that the ordinance be voted on for final passage at this time. Second, Taylor. Moved by Weiner, seconded by Taylor. <coughs> Anyone from the public like to address this topic? If you're online, please raise your hand and, and uh, if you're present in the council chambers, please step forward. Seeing no one.
Council discussion? Roll call, please. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Motion passed, seven to zero. Could I get a motion to pass and adopt? So moved, Weiner. Second, Taylor. Roll call, please. Burgess? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Alter? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. We're at item number 12, which is council appointments. Applicants must reside in Iowa City and be 18 years of age unless specific qualifications are stated. 12A is Ad Hoc Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Ad Hoc Truth and Reconciliation Commission has two vacancies to fill unexpired terms effective upon appointment through June 30th, 2023. Uh, correspondence, um, yeah, all right. So could I get a motion to accept correspondence? I'll move, Taylor. Second, Burgess. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes seven to zero. Council discussion about appointments. We had, um, and I, I guess I, I, I kind of want to just say that um, we have two, four, six applicants. Um, and council, we know that we had a recent um, resignation. So we could actually go forth with two individuals, should we choose, or if we wanted to only go with one, um, then I think we probably need to make that clarification now and, and maybe give more individuals or more applicants time. So are we wanting to go with two applicants at this time or see how everything plays out with who we promote first? I can appreciate um, wanting to give folks some more time to be aware that we have the second vacancy, but I'm also aware of the fact that, that this poor commission has just had so many obstacles and roadblocks and, and we really need to, to get them in full swing. And so I would be uh, in favor of doing the two at this time. Okay. I, I, would, I would concur and that we also have some really good applicants or that it's not like we're, we're sort of struggling with um, no one who appears qualified. So I hear two going forth. Is there any other thoughts on the other way? Yeah, I, I, I don't have strong feelings either way. I think um, you, your first statement was, you know, allow more more individuals time to recognize that there is an opening. Um, but I'm I'm okay with uh, seeing if we. Uh, there's two individuals at least that I, I thought would be great, but let's see where people are. I, the one name that, uh, I, I, there are a number of people I would actually be interested in, but the one name that, that was the strongest, one of the strongest to me was Marie Krebs. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I agree with like that. She has a really, really strong background, also comes with some strong recommendations. Mm -hmm. I agree, and she was recommended by Christina Nobles, who's a current commission member, and I think that always speaks highly if a current commission member feels that uh, that strongly about someone that they think they can work with them. So I, I would agree Marie would be a great fit. I agree. As do I. 
Okay, Marie Crabb sounds like she has a majority. Um, anyone else? There were a couple of others, but one person who I thought could be um, an interesting and, and good fit on the commission was Lauren Merritt. I'd, I'd had her mm -hmm. as an option, a great option. Yeah. I think she has an uh, interesting background. I think that um, additionally, um, you know, she has clearly, you know, had a, a long-time career, and I think that that could speak well to um, kind of the current dynamic um, to to sort of bring, you know, again, yet a, a, an additional perspective um, of someone who has a lot of experience um, in civil service, and um, I, just, I think that she would be very good. Any other thoughts we've heard about Marie and, and I do support Lauren um, any other individuals and support Lauren as well yeah. I can support Lauren Kath I like Catherine Tram sound mm -hmm. like she would yeah. be a really good fit also uh, but I, 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 I would go with Lauren if everyone else is Absolutely. And, uh, you know also a shout out to uh, her honorable mention for uh, uh, Saranya Subramanian, if I pronounced that correctly, um, who did, I think, put on there, the choice was for HCDC anyway. Mm -hmm. So that might be something to keep in mind should we have an opening on that particular yeah. commission. Okay. Yeah, and, and yeah, she was one of my selections as well. All right, it sounds like we do have majority support for Maria Krebs and Lauren Merritt. As I'm looking side by side and could I get a motion to appoint? Um, now, let me see what their term limits are. Oh, they're all on the same term limit. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So, can I get a motion to appoint Marie Krebs and Lauren Merritt to the Ad Hoc Truth and Reconciliation Commission? So moved. Second. Second. Oh. Moved by Taylor, seconded by Weiner. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes seven to zero. On to item number 13, announcements of vacancies new. Applicants must reside in Iowa City and be 18 years of age unless specific qualifications are stated. Board of Adjustment, one vacancy to fill a five-year term. Uh, January 1st, 2023 through December 31st, 2027. Board of Appeals, two vacancies to fill a five-year term. January 1st, 2023 through December 31st, 2027. Um, one vacancy for a licensed plumber and one vacancy for a HBA representative or qualified by experience or training. Climate Action Commission, three vacancies to fill a three-year term, January 1st, 2023 through December 31st, 2025. Human Rights Commission, three vacancies to fill a three-year term, January 1st, 2023 through December 31st, 2025. Parks and Recreation Commission, two vacancies to fill a four-year term, January 1st, 2023 through December 31st, 2026. Public Art Advisory Committee at Large, one vacancy to fill a three-year term, January 1st, 2023 through December 31st, 2025. Senior Center Commission, two vacancies to fill a three-year term, January 1st, 2023 through December 31st, 2025. Applications must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. 
Item number 14 is of announcements of vacancies previous. Applicants must reside in Iowa City and be 18 years of age unless specific qualifications are stated. Planning and Zoning Commission, one vacancy to fill an unexpired term. Applications must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, October 2022, uh, October 25th, 2022. Airport Zoning Board of Adjustment, one vacancy to fill a five-year term. Airport Zoning Commission, one vacancy to fill a six-year term. Historic Preservation Commission, one vacancy to fill a three-year term. Vacancies will remain open until filled. And we are at item number 15, which is City Council information. And we can give any board updates or any um, thing that is uh, for the good of the public. Uh, Mr. Mayor, um, uh, had the opportunity to fill in on the ECI COG meeting uh, this past week. Uh, it was a fairly short meeting, uh, but a couple things that jumped out that I think that uh, would be nice for the council members to have on their radar, uh, mostly involved issues with transportation and transit um, transit sorts of issues. So there are some uh, some federal bills that are um, have gotten approval, but they're working through some of the uh, you know the details, which always takes a little bit of time. Uh, some stuff that have to do with some safe streets uh, initiatives, uh, which uh, are designed to um, lower fatalities on roadways. So there might be something uh, in the near future for if we have road projects or street projects that involve uh, you know, reconfiguring, re-engineering um, dangerous intersections. Uh, the other one uh, involved some of the uh, some of the new bills um, that have been moving through at the federal level that involve a support for more e-charging stations. I think those just made some headlines recently. Uh, again, all the details of those are are not um, you know hammered out yet, uh, uh, but uh, we do know that there will be some priority given to. Uh, certain corridors, um, I-80, I-380, uh, other interstates in Iowa, but those are you know the ones that affect us most directly uh, within a near proximity. Um, I think the anticipation is that a lot of those requests for grants will come from private business owners, Casey's, Come and Go, Quickstar, those kinds of things. Uh, but there may also be some opportunities for other entities such as local government to um, apply for some funding to put in charging stations. So that might be, uh, again, the, all those details are not available yet, but those are things that uh, ICI COG staff said they were looking into, and so it's not a bad thing to have on our radar screen. That's all. So we had a uh, meeting at the, the JEXA board. The one of the, um, I, they have been, the head of JEXA has been coordinating with, um, Sarah Nelson of Community um, to as both before the rollout of the 988 number and continuing and they hope in the near future to be also be able to have some community staff sit in with their uh, with their dispatchers to start to start understanding how this would all work. So there's uh, it's not it's not a it's not they're not paired up yet, but they're in communication and will continue to be. Well, I'll give a, a quick little update. Last week, um, our deputy city manager and I were in Waterloo. Uh, we just got back on Friday from being at the Iowa League of Cities. It was a great opportunity, not only um, for information, which was an information overload, um, but just to be amongst other city elected officials as well as staff from other cities and have some great conversations. Um, I did do a tour 
uh, where we went through the neighborhoods and saw um, it was really their affordable housing tour. And there was a lot of great takeaways. Um, they had the info, the information sessions, there were um, a, a lot of topics, uh, some of which we would anticipate would have been a part of it, which was child care. That's something that a lot of people chimed in on, both large and small cities um, that had uh, conversations about, you know, what can we expect not only from um, the governor, um, you know, the, the state, but also what are some of the things that we can anticipate coming from federal, local government, and even um, what are ways that we can be more innovative. Um, child care uh, workers, of course, rose to the top of one of the things that we need to address, but it was a great opportunity to um, hear a lot from um, different presenters. Uh, the other thing is that they always have their legislative priorities that um, they kind of put forth uh, before um, our legislators. There's nothing uh, too surprising. I'm not going to go through it now because um, there's actually two sets. We're part of the the Metro Coalition, which they are also did their legislative priorities, and Iowa League of Cities. And what typically happens, because um, I know Councilor Taylor brought this up, the council will get to set our city um, legislative agenda. Typically, we do that November, definitely by December. Oftentimes, pre-COVID, we would invite our legislators here to just uh, have a conversation as well. Um, that opportunity still might, um, you know, present itself uh, this time around. But it was great. I would encourage people to, um, uh, if if your schedule will allow it, to maybe next year uh, mark your calendar. Uh, to attend the next year's um, Iowa League of Cities. Uh, whether you're going to remain on council or not, I think there's a lot, because um, I know we'll be up for another re-election, <laughs> but I think there's a lot to gain from uh, those opportunities. While I'm talking about just uh, opportunities, um, the Iowa, I'm sorry, in Washington, D.C., I do go to um, at the end of January, and that is to the Mayor's Innovation Project. It sounds like it's just for mayors, but it's not. It's for elected officials, and so I would encourage any individual to connect with uh, our city clerk, Kelly, um, about that opportunity, um, because it's just a lot of great things happening uh, when you're getting around and listening to what other cities are doing that are so innovative. And I'll tell you that we have a lot of things that we can share as well on some of the things that we're doing here. So uh, just keep an eye out for some of these opportunities, and um, I will hope that in the future we'll uh, have a little more um, uh, participation. You're also going to mention the, the gala last week? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Go ahead. yes, yes. So uh, there were... Um, so on last Thursday, while we were doing double duty, one <laughs> in Waterloo, uh, both uh, Redmond and I and Councilor Weiner um, and some city staff, we also had some uh, commission members and other members of the uh, public that represented the city at the African American Museum, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to blank on the name, um, History Makers Gala. And our very own uh, first uh, 
African-American mayor, Ross Wilburn, was, um, he made, he made, uh, he made history and he was, uh, was, he received a reward. There were other people from our uh, community that also uh, received this award. It was a beautiful um, uh, event, well attended, it was packed, uh, the spirits were high and it was just a great way to celebrate people uh, throughout the state that are making great change um, that are African-American. been an incredibly busy couple of weeks, I think, for uh, uh, the entire community. Um, but I'm really happy to say that I got to um, represent the city f at the Johnson County Affordable Housing Coalition and talk about the great things that we are doing um, throughout, in terms of our affordable housing solutions. And um, it, it was just an amazing experience to be able to sort of sit there and talk about the multiple kinds of projects and and ways that we're trying to address affordable housing. Uh, it is both a source of frustration because we need it so much, but there is a lot that we can be proud of. And so it was a really cool moment to be able to um, represent Iowa City in that way and to talk about what we have done as a council and in partnership with, with uh, people who are out there doing the work every day. So that was a really wonderful opportunity. Um, additionally, uh, the Iowa Women's Foundation had their annual luncheon, and it was fantastic because this was 25 years that the IWF has been giving out grants for um, different um, nonprofits that are there to help strengthen and bolster women and girls in Iowa. Um, this was also the 50th anniversary of Title IX, and as a part of that, um, the entire luncheon was there to celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Christine Grant and her last doctoral student, who is now um, the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for the NCAA, was able to speak. Uh, and I believe her name was Dr. Kimberly Miller. I may be wrong on that. But um, it was a lovely, really heartwarming, and, and also just empowering and uh, important luncheon um, because you could just see how every year the grind goes on and um, you know this this organization really has uh, put so many people to the um, helped so many people become aware of obstacles and challenges and yet opportunities for women and girls in Iowa. So that was a really wonderful thing. And I got to actually uh, speak with and hang out with um, staff uh, in a more informal way than this kind of a setup. And so that was another really great opportunity. Uh, and then my final bit too is then later that evening, um, the City of Literature right now is uh, in the middle of their two-week book festival, which is longer than it's ever been before, but they had so many events, they stretched it out. Um, so kudos to John Kenyon and staff for the work that they're putting in on this. Um, I went to the Paul Engel Award um, reception and talk that was with Rebecca Slotnick, uh, who is a absolute pioneer and warrior, a climate warrior. Um, so much of the work that she does now, she said, is very deliberately, it is everything that she does now is with this eye on this decade of what she calls decision-making for, for the climate. And so she's a very staunch, strong, 
advocate, and it was really exceptional to, to hear her speak. Um, the book festival is actually going on through October 13th, so um, anybody who loves literature and hearing people talk about literature, check out the events and um, go, go partake. There was also um, the gala for the Center for Worker Justice. Um, which was a, also a really lovely event. So it's celebrating 10 years of, of, of their existence and work for the community and work for um, the, uh, those particularly who have suffered from wage theft and various other similar issues. So, um, and featured our former mayor pro tem, obviously. So. All right, hearing nothing else, we're gonna move on to item number 16, which is reports on items from city staff. We're gonna to go to our city manager's office. Nothing for you to this evening. All right, our city attorney. Nothing for me either, thank you, Mayor. City clerk. All right, item number 17 is adjournment. Can I get a motion to adjourn, please? So moved. Oh. Second. <laughs> All right, moved by Harmson, seconded by Taylor. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? We are adjourned.